Hello friends and welcome back to another episode of The Lauren Coleman Show, (laughs) also known as A Seat at the Table. Thanks for tuning in. I have decided to invest in a hopefully slightly better quality microphone, so I really do hope that it pays off and that your listening experience is slightly better than the previous episodes that I've made. For those of you who have endured the slightly not so great quality of the previous episodes, thank you for sticking in there. I appreciate your support. I'm just hoping that the quality is going to be a little bit better in the future. We'll see. (laughs) Admittedly, the previous episodes that I recorded were using a microphone which I had ordered from Wish, which I'm not the most proud of. But sometimes you just got to do what you got to do with the equipment that you have available. And I wasn't out there willing to spend hundreds of dollars on a microphone for a podcast at that time in my life. But now here we are. (laughs) So today's episode is following on from the previous two episodes, which I suppose have turned into some kind of series, which I'm creating, which is... I guess about well-being and if you have listened to the previous two episodes last week's one was called how to exercise and the week before was called how to eat then you will have heard me joke about how I intended to basically summarize 10 pillars of well-being all in one episode but it's turned out that I've only been able to talk about one pillar in each episode. I think that I will be able to summarize the remaining pillars in less, well, yeah, more like less than or more than. I'll be able to kind of combine the rest of the pillars and hopefully one to two more episodes and then we'll be able to talk about other things. So bear with me. Today's episode, I wanted to talk about basically the rest, the rest of what well-being is beyond nutrition and exercise. Now, fear not, we will go back to talking about nutrition and exercise because I want to emphasize that those are the topics that, frankly, I am the most educated in. So I'm a little, like, I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert on the other aspects of well-being but they are aspects which I recognize are equally if not more important when combined than just nutrition and exercise. You see I used to think that nutrition in particular was kind of like the be-all end-all of being healthy. I thought okay if I could get my diet as perfect as possible, then I would be the healthiest that I could be. So that would be what health would look like. So I would basically never get sick again. I would be, I would have the best body composition. I would have the most energy. I would have the best skin. I would have the best hair. I would 
basically just be radiating and everybody within a hundred meter vicinity of me would just not be able to stop staring from this golden shining light, which was me. So I really did put nutrition on a pedestal for a large portion of my life until my university degree kind of humbled me and made me realize that nutrition cannot do that for you and aiming for a quote-unquote perfect diet is not only futile but it's not really going to achieve what I thought that it was going to achieve. Well-being and I guess happiness in general is so so multifaceted and there are determinants that affect your well-being and your happiness that are basically out of our control. Genetics being one of them and our socioeconomic environment and upbringing being another. Unfortunately, the kind of household which you were born into is going to play a much bigger role on your health outcomes than whatever diet you choose to consume or whatever exercise regime that you can that you can do which is why i am now frustrated and basically angry at the amount of misinformation out there and kind of yeah it's misleading false promises that you will witness from gurus who will suggest or advertise that by simply making changes to your diet or taking a certain supplement or you know whatever protocol it is that they are obviously trying to sell you and you know this goes for all the kind of intermittent fasting cold plunge I don't know, like, um, <laughs> you, you know, you know, all these kind of like out there ideas, like, uh, of just things that you need to start adding into your lifestyle to get more and more healthy. Perhaps they do have health benefits, but some people just have a, have genetics and they have chronic health conditions and they have um, circumstances that are just going to prevent them from ever being able to achieve this golden standard that they are advertising that their protocol will help you achieve. So that's why with my messaging and with the information that I share with people and with the way that I work with clients, sometimes it is hard because I sort of have to bring people back down to earth. It's like, okay, I understand that you want this, but I just need to be real with you. We Changing your nutrition and exercising is going to make a massive impact on how you feel overall, but you're not going to become this person who you might have in mind when you know that this happens to be your set of circumstances at the moment i hope i'm making sense (laughs) 
So that's why I wanted to do this episode, which is kind of going into all of the other components that we can't forget about when we are wanting to improve our overall well-being. And unfortunately, there are things that we don't have control over. One of them being genetics. We can't really have... No, we can't have control over our genetics. Our genetics are what we're born with. There's talk about a concept called epigenetics, which is basically certain genes that you have can either be switched on or switched off due to environmental circumstances. Okay, but once we are adults that basically becomes less and less possible. So I think people talk about, so people talk about epigenetics with regards to whatever your mother did and whatever your grandmother did while they were pregnant with either your mother or you. Their lifestyle choices had the ability to switch on or switch off certain genetic codes that then got passed on down to you. When you were a baby and when you were a toddler, there were other environmental circumstances around you, such as how often you were fed or the kind of food that you were given or how polluted your environment was or your exposure to, you know, large amounts of chemicals, those sorts of things, smoking, that sort of thing, that's going to have the ability to switch on or switch off certain genetic codes in your body. The older that you get, the less what we call plastic your genetics become. So really, there's not a whole lot that we can do about the genes that we have beyond the age of being a toddler. But if you are somebody who is thinking about having children or if you are pregnant, then that is where that, you know, that's why people do tell you that it's really important that you don't starve yourself during pregnancy or you don't smoke during pregnancy or you don't drink alcohol because these are the sorts of things that really do have an effect on the baby's outcome once they are born. So yes, you kind of can change your genetics, but only if you're a baby. And if you're a baby, I doubt that you're listening to this episode or understanding what I'm saying. And you're also probably not in control of anything. But perhaps if you, if you are a soon-to-be parent or you are a parent of a newborn, then yes, of course, it's important to not starve your baby. Um, but I hope that you know, knew that already. So beyond genetics, the other big thing that affects our well-being is our economic circumstances. Unfortunately, that probably has the biggest determinants of our well-being over pretty much anything. If you think about it, if you were born into a household where the combined income of the your caregivers was below average or it meant that you were 
struggling to get by. It's going to affect so many things. So it's going to affect the quality of the food that you eat when you're growing up. It's going to affect your access to healthcare. You're probably less likely to seek healthcare when you need it. And it's probably going to affect things like insulation and household heating and clothing. Like come the winter, you might not have adequate warm clothing or yeah, just you might get sick easily. There might be mold in your house. Um, you might even like your education is probably not going to be ideal. So all of these factors that affect all of these are different factors that will affect your well-being. The reality is that people who have less money are more likely to have more serious health conditions. They are more likely to have mental health conditions. Poverty is the biggest cause of depression. Now, if you have ever struggled with finances, then I'm sure you have no doubt the amount of stress and sadness and shame and anxiety that comes from struggling with money. And that becomes amplified the more people that you have who are dependent on you. So if you do have children or if you are looking after a parent or a grandparent or a sick person or somebody who is unable to work otherwise and you are having to cook for them, provide food for them, house them and basically support them in other ways but you are barely getting by to be able to do that for yourself, that's incredibly stressful. And stress has such a negative effect on our health as well. So it's not just because people who are poorer might not be able to afford eating healthy or eating, you know, an abundance of fresh fruit and vegetables and, you know, unprocessed foods and be able to prepare these foods which cost us a lot of money when the cost of groceries has risen well the cost of fruits and vegetables we know has increased 25 percent in new zealand over the last year the cost of groceries in general has risen about 12 percent okay and the the average household income has not increased to that proportion so so many people not just in New Zealand but all around the world but yes definitely in New Zealand really are struggling week to week just to get by and these are the people who are struggling with their overall health physical and mental the most and it's really unfortunate because you can't really do much about that apart from finding ways and trying to support systems that end poverty or help to yeah we, we need to end poverty and that's the only way that we can really hope work towards a healthier country in general and having a healthier country in general would provide so much benefit to the country because people would be happier people would be more productive there would probably be less um 
antisocial behavior, there would be less resentment. And I just, <laughs> I probably sound like a full-blown communist and I'm not going to reveal too much about my political leanings, but that is my opinion. If we were able to eliminate poverty, which sounds very utopian, but that really would be the ideal if we want to have healthier countries. Um, yeah, and I, that's the other thing, that's the other reason why I get so angered by people who kind of sell protocols like, you know, drink this lemon juice and cayenne pepper drink and you'll become really healthy and you'll eliminate all your toxins and it'll change your life. It's just like, yeah, but like until we reduce, until we remove systemic oppression, <laughs> like your lemon maple syrup and cayenne pepper drink isn't going to do shit. So we can't like... When, when people are trying to sell you this idea that something's going to make you healthier, if it's not actually addressing the underlying cause of why people are struggling with their health in the first place, then I, it, it really is just elitist and it's selling a, it's, it's false. It's selling like this false hope for people. And the sad thing is it's often people who are so desperate with their health and are in vulnerable positions and may or may not even have the finances to splash out on miracle supplements or these expensive regimes like that, that become the most vulnerable to this kind of advice. So I'm here to debunk it <laughs> and tell you not to fall for it. There are other things that you can do to support your health and well-being that aren't going to cost you money. And if you are struggling financially, then I hope that the advice that I'm about to share will be somewhat helpful or reassuring to you. All right, so this leads me to the next point which I need to make, which is the importance of sleep and stress management. Like I highlighted before, stress has a huge negative effect on our overall health. Stress is linked to not only short-term issues like, you know, I think typically when people think of the, what are the negative health effects of stress? I think people just typically think of the psychological effects that stress has. And of course, there's psychological effects, like people become more prone to anxiousness or feeling overwhelmed or they're unable to be present or mindful or basically experience their capacity to experience I guess pleasure and happiness massively reduces so of course when you are chronically stressed you are less likely to appreciate things and really feel positive emotions, which is a huge concern really. But in the kind of society that we have at the moment where we don't prioritize that or we don't really see that as a big deal because we value productivity more than we value happiness, People aren't going to take the psychological implications of stress very seriously. 
So for that reason, I think it's also necessary to highlight the physiological and physical effects, short-term and long-term, that being chronically stressed has on our body. One, being stressed increases our blood pressure, and it also increases our risk for cardiovascular disease. Okay, so people who have, yeah, if you have high blood pressure, then automatically that puts you at greater risk for stroke, and it's a sign that your heart is having to work very, very hard just to get oxygen all around your body. So that's not good. <laughs> not a great sign. Um, which is another reason why it's actually good to get your blood pressure checked fairly regularly. Because it's a very non-invasive, quick and easy test to make sure that your heart health is okay. If you, have, if you do have high blood pressure, then you do need to take that seriously because that's a sign that you are not, like, it's a sign that there's probably other things going on. It's a sign that potentially you may also have high cholesterol and you are definitely at greater risk of cardiovascular disease. Okay, so people who are stressed for whatever reason, usually that, that stress is probably going to be more harmful for them than the food that they are eating. Okay, as well as putting you at more risk for cardiovascular disease, this one, maybe this sounds even more scary to people, but if you're stressed, you are at more risk of dun-dun-dun, weight gain, yes, when you're chronically stressed, you will likely have chronically elevated cortisol levels. People with chronically elevated cortisol levels are more likely to store visceral fat. The visceral fat is the inflammatory fat that deposits close to your internal organs and it basically increases inflammation in your body increases your likelihood of developing insulin resistance. That insulin resistance makes you more prone to developing type 2 diabetes and other types of heart disease. And having the excess inflammation in your body will exasperate other health conditions that you already have as well. Okay, on top of that... Um, if you have chronically elevated cortisol levels, you may experience water retention. So if you are trying to lose weight, then you probably won't notice it because you are bloated and puffy and your body is holding on to this extra water. So that's probably going to put you more at risk for yo-yo dieting. If you yo-yo diet, you may like because you're you're not seeing results on the scale and you're trying to lose weight or you feel like you're putting on weight and you're like, oh gosh, I'm putting on weight, I should diet. And so you'll diet and then you'll you'll feel like nothing's happening. So you'll diet even more aggressively. And then you still might not see results. And then you'll get to a point where you're like, well, screw it. 
I'm not going to keep doing this or your body will give in one or the other and then you'll end up binge eating or just you'll completely stop and you'll just overeat and then you will probably just feel really bad after you overeat and then you'll kind of you you might end up in that typical cycle of like overeating feeling bad about it trying to diet feeling like you're not making progress giving up and then overeating again and then eventually you'll probably just end up gaining more weight okay so many people who are chronically stressed gain weight through that mechanism also by having insulin resistance unfortunately yes it does make it more difficult to lose weight and it makes it you it makes you more likely to continue to store weight in that abdominal region all right so the other effect of stress is the um so the long-term effects that it has on your brain health as well so you can likely imagine that short-term effects would be depression and anxiety which yes is absolutely true but there's also links that chronically stressed people are more likely to develop dementia or Alzheimer's as well. So it really is important to manage your stress. And the easiest way to manage your stress is by not being in stressful situations. So look, and that's the reality. So you can do as much meditation and going for walks in nature and breathing exercises and yoga as you want but if your lifestyle is still hectic and you are not giving yourself a break then that's not really going to do that much people are so used to pushing themselves and people really want to push themselves as hard as possible but it really is having such a negative effect on our overall health Look, a little bit of stress isn't a bad thing. In fact, we need to be stressed in order us in order for us to grow as individuals. People who have been people who have I guess had it easy their entire lives and who have never been in stressful situations and have essentially been coddled by their upbringings you if if anybody comes to mind when you think of these types of people you know that they probably don't have the same amount of empathy and they don't have the life skills that many of us have acquired through being in our own stressful situations we need stress in order to become stronger more resilient more empathetic and more successful people if you like if if you have any kind of goal whatsoever whether it's career fitness personal relationship anything like that you will need to be in stressful situations most likely if you want to achieve that and that's not a bad thing the issue arises when we uh when we become addicted to that stress cycle and it does become addicting for some people. It becomes a adrenaline rush to seek stressful scenario after stressful scenario. And 
that is where we start to see the effects of cortisol basically increasing and increasing. There's a technical term for it, which is called allostatic load. Because, okay, when we think about the stress hormone cortisol, it's going to spike when we, when we need that, I guess, energy burst. So our cortisol levels do naturally fluctuate across the day. So they sort of peak in the morning and then they drop at around 3 p.m., which is why people talk about feeling that sort of 3 p.m. energy crash. And then they sort of begin to rise again towards the end of the day before dropping off before you go to bed. So your cortisol levels across the day are aligned with when your body perceives that you'll need the most energy. And so, you know, when you kind of become aware of this, you can sort of tune in to your body's peak times and use those for periods of productivity versus periods of rest. Our cortisol levels are going to increase as well during other times where your body perceives that it might need it. So for example, your cortisol levels will rise when you're doing a workout or when you are about to do a presentation or when you are in the middle of trying to finish a task before a deadline. And that's to kind of help you get through. But the thing is, like our cortisol levels need to drop back down to normal in order for them to not remain elevated. Okay, but the problem is when we get stressed about something and we don't let it drop, and then we get stressed about another thing, then the cortisol is going to rise, plateau, then rise again, maybe drop down a little bit, but not all the way, then maybe rise again. And so even if we do our little 10-minute meditation in the middle of the day, or we do our one minute of breathing exercises, okay, our cortisol levels might drop back down a little bit, but they haven't returned to baseline. In order for them to return to baseline, honey, you need to go on a 10-day yoga retreat in the woods. <laughs> Doing you need you need you need to go on one of those silent retreats where you just throw away your phone and you just like you you literally do nothing the whole time. Like something like that. You will need a lot more than probably what you think that you're doing in order for your body to truly relax. Or you need to go to an, a warm, sunny island somewhere and just lie on sand. <laughs> but, like, do you get what I'm saying? Most of us are so used to being stressed out that the, the idea of doing something like that almost makes us feel uncomfortable because we get addicted to always being go, go, go. But it's actually damaging our health. And so it's something that we really do need to think about. Okay, I'm going to briefly touch on sleep and then I'll wrap up this episode. So sleep goes hand in hand with what I was saying about stress. We need sleep in order to balance our stress levels. 
sleep is the most restoring thing that we can do for our body. Sleep is our body's opportunity to reset and recover properly. So again, it's kind of tying in with this hyper productivity idea that has led many of us to believe that we can sacrifice sleep in order to get more stuff done with our day. I'm really glad to witness though that more recently many of us are recognizing more and more so the importance of sleep and the negative effects of not getting enough sleep during the day. So if this is you, (laughs) then take this as your reminder to start prioritizing your sleep again, because if you're not sleeping, then chances are you are probably also someone who is chronically stressed and somebody who is probably struggling with, you may have some of the symptoms that occur when you are chronically high in cortisol. So when it comes to sleep, the standard recommendation has always sort of been adults needing about seven to eight hours of sleep every night, and that's as a minimum. So it's not actually crazy that there are people who need more than seven to eight hours of sleep. In fact, there's been recent research to suggest that actually women may need more sleep than men do, probably closer to nine hours, potentially even up to 10 hours, which sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, I think for myself, I think that if I didn't have to set an alarm, I could pretty easily sleep nine or 10 hours every night. In fact, when I'm on holiday and I'm not working, that is literally how much I sleep, which is crazy. And then it makes me sad because I think about how much sleep that I am probably missing out on because I have to work. And then I get even more sad because I think about all of the people who are also parents and how affected their sleep might be too. And yeah, and I just think about how sleep deprived most people probably are and then I think about how how really being able to get eight hours or more of sleep it seems like such a almost a luxury or even a privilege to a lot of people so yeah it's it's kind of sad that it's like become necessary to sleep less than what is ideal but I think if you know even if it's not possible for you to get the perfect amount of sleep, then I think the best that we can do is try to optimize the sleep that we do get so that we're at least getting good quality sleep. And there are a few ways that I've learned over the years that are the best things that you can do for that. One of those is just making sure that you're getting consistent bedtimes and consistent wake times. So even on like on days where you are not 
having to work or not having to wake up as early as you usually do, if you can kind of try to wake up at a similar time anyway, then that is going to make it easier for you to get into that, so like to readjust your circadian rhythm so that you get tired around the time that you should be getting tired so that you can wake up at the time that you want your body to start waking up. That has been the biggest challenge that I have found <laughs> because, yeah, I, I often find that when I need to wake up early, I find it hard to go to sleep at the right time for me to still get enough sleep and wake up at that time because I'm just not tired at that time. And perhaps it's more difficult in summer because it's warmer and because it's lighter in the evenings. It doesn't make you as sleepy. So that's something that I probably need to take my own advice around. <laughs> that would be number one. The other thing that is very important is temperature. So keeping your bedroom relatively cooler at nighttime and also having a wind down routine. So if you can avoid doing stimulating activities before you go to sleep, and by stimulating activities, we're talking about working, exercising, gaming, or probably spending too much time on screens. If you do need to use your phone, or if you are what you know watching a computer or something like that, it's a good idea to use a blue light filter. So on iPhones, there is actually a setting where you can adjust your screen so that it automatically puts a blue light filter onto your phone. And it should it probably is the same with most smartphones. And I know that most laptops, you should be able to do this as well. So if you find yourself using your phone or using your computer in the hours leading up to your bedtime, then that's definitely a good idea. The other thing that people often use is blue light glasses, which are glasses which just filter the blue light. So the blue light has been shown to make it more difficult for you to actually get to sleep and for you to stay asleep. So that's another tip that you can do. Supplements can help as well um, in order to help you relax and get to sleep. I take magnesium before bed. Magnesium is kind of a good supplement for people to take in general because the yeah the soil of many countries in the world is actually depleted of magnesium and so many of us probably do have a magnesium deficiency anyway um, without actually realizing it so it's yeah magnesium is really helpful just for muscle relaxation and nerve relaxation as well so it can kind of soothe your brain prevent your mind from racing and just relax your body so that it makes it a lot easier to sleep i literally use these six dollar magnesium um like it's like a container of 60 capsules and it was like six dollars from countdown um, the Red Seal brand of magnesium, not sponsored by the way, <laughs> um, but I'm just saying that you don't need to splash out on like a $80 magnesium supplement in order to get one that actually works. 
there are different forms of magnesium so you may need to try different brands to try and find ones that work the best for you sometimes magnesium can upset your gut particularly if you take too much so just be mindful of not overdoing it of finding a magnesium supplement that works best for you I think a good yeah when, so when you're actually choosing your magnesium supplement if you look on the back and you look at how much elemental magnesium is in the supplement because usually magnesium is bound to something else so you want to look for the actual magnesium that's in the compound not like the you know it'll say there'll be like grams of say magnesium citrate you don't need the citrate part though you just need the magnesium so instead of looking at the total amount of whatever compound it is you just want to look for how much actual magnesium there is okay I think that's my main that's going to be my main tips for sleep there are so many tips for sleep guys I think they're not too hard to find either but those are the ones that I've found help for me Basically, I want to finish this episode by just summarizing how important sleep and stress management is on top of looking after our bodies through exercise and nutrition, and that exercise and nutrition are absolutely not the be-all, end-all of having a healthy lifestyle. And actually, other factors like genetics and poverty are, <laughs> are more serious predictors of overall health comes than simply what we eat. So watch out out there. Just make sure that whenever you see bold claims coming from people that you are critical and that you don't fall for hyperboles and wild transformations because they're probably not true. Thank you so much if you've gotten this far. I really appreciate all of my listeners. I hope that you have gotten something from this episode today. Please feel free to email me any questions that you have or any feedback that you have. Or, you know, if you if you get the chance to talk to me any other way, then I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day wherever you are. And I'll see you next week. Well, you'll hear from me next week. Okay, bye for now.